What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Five-hour tea with caffeine from green tea leaves. It's delicious, energizing, and comes in three amazing flavors. With zero sugar and four calories, it fits your life. With its compact size and portability, it goes where you go. To the campsite, the hiking trail, the beach, without weighing you down. Five-hour tea. Caffeine from green tea leaves. Release your natural side. From the makers of Five-Hour Energy. For more information, visit fivehourenergy.com. Calm. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you as almost always with my uh, super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, Andrew Wiggins enthusiast today co-host andy bailey i think i might have just done some false advertising there about the andrew wiggins enthusiast but i say we roll with it um we're gonna do a mailbag today thank you for your impromptu questions we we almost didn't do a pod today andy and i not that anyone cares but we're both supremely busy that it's it's just not even funny uh we're gonna squeeze one in anyway because we know that you guys live and breathe for these friday podcast from us so we're gonna hop into a mailbag before we do just want- wherever you go however you go for energy on the go it's got to be five hour energy it works fast it works long it tastes good and with zero sugar and four calories there's nothing holding you back fits your pocket fits your backpack fits your on-the-go life whether you're going to work going on vacation or just going out with friends five hour energy energy on the go for more information, visit 5hourenergy.com. I want to remind everyone to please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, that's really one of the big, one of the two biggest ways you can help out the pod right now. We love seeing those ratings go up in particular. If you do end up subscribing to us and haven't before, let us know because we love to hear it and we'll definitely hit you back. We appreciate the reviews Two, I've seen a lot of tweets going around lately. I have no idea why, but they've showed up on my feed about people looking for NBA podcasts. Uh, shout out to, I've seen a few people mention us, thank you, but why aren't more people telling these people about our podcast who are looking for podcasts? I feel like you guys are missing a golden opportunity to build this awesome community that, that we've uh, grown here, largely thanks to you and our, what would you say, dozens of listeners, if we're lucky. And finally... As a listener of this podcast, you still get 15% off at the mbamath.com shop. That is mbamath.com slash shop. We have a bunch of great t-shirt designs. We're working on putting more up there, but you really need to check them out. I know Andy is partial to the Rudy Gobert design that we have. Both of us really love the unicorn series that we did with... we have Kristaps Porzingis with a unicorn head. We have Giannis Antetokounmpo with a unicorn head. We have someone else with a unicorn head, too. I'm blanking right now. Is it Ben Simmons? I think it might be Ben Simmons. It's Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid. 
Embiid has one. Okay, I was just going to say him. Then yeah. it's Joel Embiid, the defensive player of the year, who Andy is definitely going yeah. to vote for. <laughs> um, with that, though, we get to everyone's favorite question, both for Mailbag Podcasts and on every other episode. How are you doing today, Andy? I'm great. Like you said, uh, <clears throat> we were both kind of swamped today. I was working on a <laughs> very... I'll say hairy hypothetical divorce for family law today. Lots of lots of fun factors to deal with. The professor said it should take about an hour and a half, and everyone I've talked to has spent several hours on it. Mine ended up being like nine pages long, so that was fun. Law school sounds like the worst thing ever. Uh, <laughs> is it overhyped? I've heard like both sides of every spectrum because my family has long wanted me to go to law school, but I was not all about that debt. And I was never really good at like being like just just immersing myself in in reading schoolwork. I just found it so drab. But I've heard people say it's super hard. I've heard others say it's a cakewalk. Where do you fall? It it probably depends on where you go. The first semester I think is hard because I think they're trying to scare people away. But pretty much everything since then has been a joke. Nice. And if you follow me on Twitter, <laughs> um. And you're just now realizing that I've been in law school for the last three years. You probably realize I don't pay attention in class a lot. Future clients, take note. <laughs> yeah, do not take note of that, please. I'd be impressed, actually, because you're going. You're in your last semester of law school, so you're going to graduate. Yeah, that's what my wife is always like. Well, <laughs> you're passing your classes, so obviously you're doing something right. Yeah, so I, I would be impressed if I was a potential client. Hire Andy. I know when I get arrested, he's going to be the first person that I call, even though he's 2,000 miles away. Um, yeah. Before we hop in to the mailbag, I think we have to talk about Kawhi Leonard, not just because we talk about him, it seems like, at the beginning of every podcast, but because there's actually another update to discuss. Um, according to ESPN.com's Adrian Wojnarowski, Michael C. Wright, and Ramona Shelburne, that is that is really some just good collective reporting there. Uh, this, Tony Parker recently, bunny quotes, quarterbacked a players-only meeting that was aimed at imploring Leonard to rejoin the San Antonio Spurs for the sake of their playoff hopes. Um, the conversation, and this is um, now I'm directly reading from the piece, the conversation was described as tense and emotional at times. Several teammates spoke up, expressing frustration and confusion over a growing divide that has created significant tension between Leonard and the Spurs. Outside the Spurs' locker room, players' voices could be heard through the door, sources said. Leonard remained resolute in his response, insisting that he has good reason to continue sitting out because he still isn't fully healthy, sources said. Leonard told his teammates that he planned to return once he felt able to do so, sources said. Uh, there's just a bunch of other stuff that's going on. The Spurs ended up skipping the post-game player interviews with their broadcast partners because of it, which is probably, this thing always would have leaked out, but I'm sure that helped facilitate it. That's just something that's uh, would have been noticeably absent. Kawhi, if we remember, was supposed to return. It was last Friday, right, Andy, against the Pelicans, and then didn't. Or it seems was it like Thursday? it changes all the time. Yeah. So, and they still don't know when he's going to come back. Manu Ginobili recently just came out and said that he's not coming back. They have to plan as if he's not coming back because he isn't going to save the day. I, I'm just going to throw it to you on a general scale. What, what do you make? of all this and the second question would be because it's the spurs does it make it that much more confusing because it just doesn't seem to make sense that this is happening to the spurs of all teams um 
I do think that makes it more confusing. Uh, I I didn't ever I wouldn't have ever anticipated Kawhi Leonard, who was like the poster child for selfless star, um, clashing with the Spurs, who are like the poster child for functional organization. It just I I never could have imagined this coming, and it get there's like a new weird layer to the story. It seems like every week now, um, every other week at least. This I players daily, only meeting, like. <laughs> yeah. This players only meeting came out of nowhere. And Mike, I, how long ago was it? Did you say it was after one of the games? After their win over the Timberwolves, and it's funny that so it came that after a win this week. Yeah, they beat the Timberwolves. That was Saturday, right? I remember watching. My, one that. of my first thoughts I had. Also, I was like I said, I was busy, so I basically just read the tweet when I got the mobile notification about it. Um. And I thought, if, it, if your team holds a meeting specifically to ask you to play, how do you continue to sit out after that? Right, but isn't it weird that it came? Yes, you know that was only the uh, only the Spurs' third win in a row, but they waxed the Timberwolves on Saturday, one seventeen to one hundred one. And then it's even funny. So, so that conversation is taking place after a win. Which is both, that's like kind of so Spurs, right? If this was going to happen, it's not going to be during their roughest stretch. They're just going to do it. Um, and then they go on to beat the Warriors, who were shorthanded on Monday. And then they go on to beat the Wizards, who didn't have John Wall on Wednesday. But they had still played pretty well at points without Wall until recently. So I, it's also confusing to me. But this comes down to, and they've gone back and forth, is he actually medically cleared? It sounds like he is and that this is basically up to him and the people he's seeing or maybe him just getting a feel for his body. And you have to imagine, since we're talking, knowing how hard he's tried on the court during his career, what he's done for the Spurs defensively, how he's developed his offensive game— Maybe this is psychological, but I, I I almost can't picture it. Like if it feels as if it has to be something a little bit more, just because of what we've always known or, or thought we knew about Leonard the competitor. It, it doesn't make sense to me, <laughs> for the reasons you laid out. It, they just it gets weirder and weirder with every new update. Another question I have is, so if he has been medically cleared. For who knows how long? How do you? How does he then repair the damage that's being done by sitting out? Like, how do you bridge that gap with Popovich or your teammates in future seasons? They're I, always going to remember the fact that you sat out. I don't know days, weeks, however long it's been while you were medically cleared. Well, I guess what kind of helped- unless they keep. I mean, maybe if they win another title or something, I think that would obviously erase it. But it's just. Um, I've said this like three times now, but it just gets weirder and weirder. Say it a fourth time. <laughs> weirder and weirder. Well, couldn't something that's possibly contributing to this are the characters who are involved and who seem to be uh, – not all of them have called them out, but really all of them have. You look at Manu. He's 40. Tony Parker's 36 and in the last year of his contract. Greg Popovich is 69. We don't know how much longer he's going to coach for. And then you have Pau Gasol hasn't really said anything. Pau Gasol hasn't really said anything on this, but 
He's still 37. A lot of these guys, we can look at it and say, oh, the Warriors exist. Kawhi Leonard's still in the thick of his prime. The Spurs have time to rebuild around him. They just handed the torch to to Murray at the point guard position. Some of these guys just aren't looking at it through that lens. And maybe that sort of drummed up the tension a little bit, perhaps. Just because you're Kawhi Leonard still the Spurs' best player. Even when you look at LaMarcus Aldridge, they're kind of... They're not operating on completely divergent timelines, but certainly some of these guys, Parker, Ginobili, and maybe even Popovich, and definitely Gasol, they are on those divergent windows. Yeah, so maybe they still can turn the team over to him, but um, I don't know. I feel like there's going some significant fence mending will have to take place, even if those older guys are retired um, you know, within the next couple of years. I have two questions then for you for this. The first of which is, if you're the Spurs and he's willing to take it, do you give him the designated player extension this summer? Um, if you if you are confident that he's fully healthy, I think you have to. I mean, he's when what he, if he is doesn't right, play again he's a this top year? five player, right? So even if he doesn't play again this year, you would give it to him. <sighs> Man, if he doesn't play again this year and it's and it means that he's fully healthy, then I think so. The other caveat is, like we've said, maybe, maybe the relationship is just beyond repair. And if that's the case, uh, who knows? I almost can't picture it being beyond repair. It just, the, uh, but this is just me blindly trusting in the Spurs. I guess that nothing could be this wrong. At the same you time, what, couldn't you picture? You know, across my mind is. What if this was like crazy enough that it was like the Darren Williams Jerry Sloan situation eventually? Oh my god! <laughs> I don't know. That's that's like the ultimate extreme, but that crossed my mind uh, while you were talking earlier. Could this also maybe be like even a simple misunderstanding? If you look at what we know about Kwai, and he's not, he doesn't seem like he'd be the best person to communicate with because he doesn't talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's certainly on the table there's there's any number of explanations uh yeah it, it could be just a misunderstanding but it, it seems like seems like they should have ironed that out by, by now and the final question to this then would be the spurs according to 538 92% chance of making the playoffs they're uh, it, it tied in the win column with the pelicans for fifth place in the western conference right now uh, they're, they're right now sixth though how far do you if they avoid let's say they avoid the warriors and the rockets in the first round do you think they'll win a playoff series or is it just totally matchup dependent at that point well yeah i do think they're in um i know you didn't ask me that but we've we've kind of <laughs> we've talked about it i think every episode for the last few they seem to have weathered whatever that storm was a couple weeks ago um is this assuming Kawhi comes back or just as they are currently without him? Yeah. Without him, I don't, I don't know if they can win a series. Who, who would they beat? That's in the mix right now. I don't think they would beat the blazers, especially with the way they're playing. Fun fact, Evan Turner over his last 35 games is shooting almost 40% from three on close to two attempts per game. Yeah. I don't, the Thunder series could be interesting, but a team with Thunder Paul was Jordan, one that crossed mind mind too. Just I, I feel like they would have um, 
they would they would have a coaching edge and a strategic edge there, but they would just be overwhelmed by Westbrook and George's just athletics. And, he might be overwhelmed yeah, by Corey Brewer. I, I just, I just <laughs> look at their roster. The Pelicans, I think they could beat. Yeah, that's probably true. Actually, they wouldn't. It's not going to get to that, but I think they would destroy the Timberwolves. That that series just won't take place, though. I would it say would be weird for them. They'd have to get to like the four five matchup to play the Pelicans, right? I yeah. guess that's probably true for any of these matchups. Yeah, right now they're slated to face the Blazers, who have a two game lead over the Thunder for third place. There's still a bunch of different combinations. I don't think they would get out of the first round without him. They are on the season seventeen and twenty four against teams five hundred and above. And then you just look at how their offense is run. They're in the bottom half of the league in offensive efficiency right now, 18th in points scored per 100 possessions. They're 25th in three-point frequency and accuracy. Only seven teams have a lower free-throw attempt rate. They just they can't do anything outside of LaMarcus Aldridge, and even though they score like a top-10 offense with him in the game, even though they have a top-12 crunch time offense, largely because he's been good down the stretch, and so is Ginobili this year too as well, they're basically they they have the same offensive rating as the Sacramento Kings when you pull Aldridge from the game this season. To me, though, what's also a red flag is just the way Aldridge gets his offense. He still subsists on this heavy diet of mid rangers and these just tough fallaways. And I I looked this up before we started recording. Lamarcus Aldridge is shooting sixty one percent on turnaround fadeaways, sixty one of one hundred. That's a lot of shots in those situations and yes it's impressive but like if those are are a source of your offense a fairly substantive source of your offense how do you keep that going and they they don't have that guy that you can turn to to face up and, and get a bucket with with the game on the line right now because Aldridge just isn't that player it's not it, that's not his skill set and with the way the game is run you're not going to put him on the block i mean the spurs will but you you really shouldn't be putting him on the block eight seconds to play down by one and needing a basket. It's just not how it works. He doesn't get to the free throw line with the frequency of other stars because of the way he plays. He's having a fantastic season. I don't want to take anything away from him. I just think their offense, even though it's been statistically good to great with him, him on the floor, I still think it's vulnerable with him as essentially their offensive marrow at this point. I agree. I I would certainly be worried about them. um, If they, go into a playoff series without Kawhi. The other big news comes from Chris Bassard of Fox Sports 1 while he was speaking on The Herd. Uh, it, this I'm not sure if it's really a concrete report, but it's going around. Chris Broussard said this, I will say this, there is some sentiment within the Celtics organization. Let's see what happens with the second opinion. He's talking about Kyrie Irving's left knee injury, that possibly this is far from definite, and I don't want to sound the alarm, but possibly this could put his season in jeopardy. That would be, uh, the second opinion thing is weird. The whole situation is uncomfortable because you had Danny Ainge come out and say that Irving will eventually need surgery on his left knee, which is the knee that he injured in 2015 with the Cavaliers during the finals. But then he went on to say that, oh, he'll be fine with some rest this year and he'll be ready to rock for the playoffs. But then he still missed some time and he's going to get that second opinion and travel with the team on their four game road trip. I don't I honestly don't know what to make of of this situation, even kind of. 
Yeah, if this is a long-term problem, that's um, you know that's obviously a huge bummer for Kyrie Irving and Boston Celtics fans. Are they saying that he might miss the playoffs too? It, he just said his season in jeopardy, which would to me include the, include playoff. the playoffs. Well, this was always I've seen a couple Celtics guys talk about this on Twitter. Um, I can't remember who specifically said this, but. This was always like sort of a waiting year anyway. I think they outperformed where everyone thought they would be for, you know, at least the first half of the season. Um, but it was always going to be about next year anyway when you get Gordon Hayward back. So maybe, I mean, even with Kyrie Irving, they weren't a realistic threat to win the title, right? I mean, you agree with me there? Uh, no, I, I do agree with you. So if. Um, that being the case, if he needs to take a little bit of extra time off to be fully healthy next year, I, I, I would say that's probably the right way to go. At this point, since you say that they're ahead of schedule, wouldn't it almost behoove them if they know he needs to get surgery eventually? Just get it. Because yeah, already without I, I would agree Hayward, with that. Why not just why not I'm not a doctor, obviously, which just makes this all null and void, but just just do it. I would I would totally agree with that. Um, I, I believe that is that is there any other news items we wanted to get to that was really the oh Giannis Antetokounmpo sprained his ankle will not be playing in the Bucks' game on Friday an ankle sprain luckily uh, those aren't considered to be too too serious the Bucks need Antetokounmpo on the floor because their season is is like it's not in the shitter but it's relative to expectations three games over five hundred sitting in eighth place in the Eastern Conference. Their net rating plunges when he's off the court. I, it's just, They need him. I don't know what other way to put it. And if he ends up missing even two games, you know, what if the Detroit Pistons run off two straight and the Bucks lose two straight without a Tentacumpo and all of a sudden it's just a three-game lead that they have on eighth place? That, that'd be... I don't want to use the word hysterical, but that'd be something. Um, yeah, it'd be crazy. That... that... We've talked about them a couple of times too. This, to me, one of the most disappointing teams in the league. <laughs> Just like you said, they fall apart when he's not on the floor, and seems like there might need to be some sort of wholesale changes made in that uh, organization over the summer too. David Fisdale's head coach. Yeah, I'm in on that. That will then conclude conclude our news items. Do you want to uh, steer us into the... Oh, yeah. I've got a lot of questions, um, as usual. Thanks, guys, for responding to the mailbag tweet. You will, you will get the life-changing tag in the tweet tomorrow um, if we answer your question. So hopefully you'll be able to see that and get your answer. Um, let's start with at Jazz Hoops Life. What type of player do the Jazz need most to take the next step and become a top three to four seed in the West? It's funny that they could end up being a four seed anyway in the West this yeah, year. Yeah, that's pretty crazy, actually. Um, so uh, I wish I could remember who wrote it. There was an insider. Did you see the NBA Future Power Rankings on ESPN? I did not. Um, I think Utah was sixth on there and and there was I, I i wish i could remember who wrote it um if i find it i'll give him credit later but anyway i think ja the jazz were sixth on there and there was a line in there about how they've 
they're they're kind of angling toward 2019 free agency. They're not really worried about this year. And that got a bunch of jazz fans on Twitter excited about the possibility of the summer of 2019. And while I still don't think Utah is like a hotbed for free agency targets or, or rumors or anything like that, I couldn't help but think about the idea of a Donovan Mitchell, Clay Thompson, Joe Ingles, Jay Crowder, Rudy Gobert lineup. Um, that'd be something. That'd be something for sure. And Clay Thompson, I think, is, is obviously a tough get. I'm sure Golden State's going to try to hold on to him. If you just swap him out and put Chris Middleton in that situation, I think that's a super interesting lineup too. So Mitchell, Middleton, Ingles, Crowder, Gobert. Um, the the short answer to the question is I think they need sort of a versatile 3 and D type wing. Kind of not quite what they lost in Gordon Hayward because I feel like he's more of a point forward and you've got plenty of ball handling with Donovan Mitchell now. Um, but if you if you can get another wing who can guard a bunch of guys and, and hit some threes, I think that would be huge for them. I, I would agree. And the the problem with that is so many teams can probably say the same. That's yeah, just going to be competitive for sure. That is the player archetype that most teams need. That every team should want. Even you can basically never have too many like size switchable wings. The Jazz, though, they do have the luxury that they can have cap this summer if if they really want to. They would they would have to renounce Derek Favors, renounce Dante Exum, waive their non guarantees, but they could get to like twenty million dollars or more in room. This is not the summer to go wing chasing, though. They're not going to sign Paul George. They're not going to sign Le- LeBron James if they really kind of keep their their books lean, though. 2019 gets interesting because, like you said, Clay Thompson's a free agent. Chris Middleton is a player option. Jimmy Butler is a player option. We we just talked about Kawhi Leonard's devolving relationship with the Spurs. Those are all players that I, that they would need, and I don't. I'm not saying those one are of them all guys that Jazz fans mentioned too. I feel like the most gettable of that bunch is Middleton for sure. Obviously, um, of the mega stars, though, who could you see going there? <laughs> The one that makes the most sense to me is Clay Thompson. Um, now, a lot would have to happen for that to even be possible. We talked about the Warriors possibly shaking things up if they don't do as well as they expect to this season. And somebody, I don't even know if this is true. Somebody told me this yesterday when I was talking to people on Twitter about it. But I guess when Igadala made that comment about nightlife in Utah, um, Clay Thompson said only boring people get bored. He was like kind of defending <laughs> Utah. Um, I, don't, that, I don't know if that plays into a free agency decision or anything like that, but um, for some reason I just feel like he's more gettable than Jimmy Butler and, and uh, who would we say, Kawhi Leonard. If I'm trying to pick the player who would be most likely to choose Utah in free agency – assuming he was looking to leave where he was at all, I would go with Leonard because it it suddenly seems like San Antonio is too high profile for him. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, And Clay Thompson did actually say that. There's, I I just found the quote. (laughs) Clay Thompson on Utah's light knife, nightlife, light knife. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Only boring people get bored. He loves Utah. It's happening, Dan. Hey, you don't, he could really like hiking. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. There's lots of outdoorsy stuff there. Maybe he All really. Right, Boris, Boris Dio said they got some great coffee in Utah too. So yeah, you, one thing that was funny when that happened is Dio was yeah he was going around showing the coffee shop, showing the outdoor stuff. So maybe maybe Utah should hire him as like an ambassador to the league. You should write this down as your, <laughs> your crystal. You just crystal balled Clay Thompson to Utah. Andy yes. called it first. Um, at Thatcho, T H A T H O. How do you see the final shaking out? Does Houston have a realistic chance, and can Toronto beat LeBron? I'll let you take this one first. I feel like we've answered these questions, or some version of them, ad nauseum already. Houston is absolutely a threat to the Warriors. I think what we need to remember, though, is that when there's going to be so many, the way to compete with them is to sort of rival their three-point variants. If you have guys who can hit a ton of shots like the Warriors do from beyond the arc, uh, it, it, that series is probably going to turn in to a shootout for the most part. And what we also do have to wait, if it doesn't, but what we have to wait and see is James Harden's play style has petered out in the playoffs before. The isolation-heavy approach should certainly be different this year because, one, I, I, he's basically having the the best isolation basketball season in NBA history, it seems like, at this point. But also, he has Chris Paul as well. And when you have two guys mm-hmm. like that, it, it shouldn't hamstring you too much if it hamstrings you at all. But that's just something to look for. I, I do think they can give the Warriors a fight. A, a, and if we're going to say that Klay Thompson's shooting hand is still dinged up or Kevin Durant is still suffering from an incomplete fracture because he didn't work hard enough to completely fracture it, <laughs> they could certainly... One injury, and the Rockets are probably favored in that series or close to it. Right now, I think I'd still pick the Warriors there. The Raptors-Cavaliers talk is fascinating. The game on Wednesday night where Cleveland trailed by as many as 15 points just showed so many of their usual symptoms. Their pick-and-roll defense wasn't good. They did an okay job getting back in transition. They outscored Toronto 15-2 on the break. But it just turned into this high-scoring affair, and that almost is a red flag for the Raptors because they have an incredibly good defense this season, far better than I I thought they would have ever been. I I didn't think they were going to come close to falling inside the top five of points allowed per 100 possessions. Their bigs, particularly their young bigs, are a lot more switchable than than I gave them credit for. And if you're still going to lose to a Cavaliers team that's playing bad defense because their offense is just too overwhelming for a large swath of the game. It's not even the entire game. The, the Cavaliers, yeah, there was the 42-point first quarter, but they only put up 22 in the second quarter, and that's when it looked like the Raptors were going to run away with things. To not win that game is almost demoralizing because I think it shows the, the Raptors, they're there. And if they do lose in the Eastern Conference Finals or if they lose to the Cavaliers at any point in the playoffs because the Cavaliers really aren't short of the 3 seed, even though I think they'll hold on to it, it's not a failure, but I do think that this is a reminder that Cleveland is still the, the pick in the East, and, and if only because they have LeBron James. You need to show me an East team that beats him four times in seven tries before I'm, I'm ready to, to pick against him at this point. And that was true even when the Cavaliers were at their worst. They're not in great shape now, but they've been worse off at points this season, and I still would have been extremely hesitant uh, if— unable to pick against him in a seven game series until I've, I've seen one unfold again with him on the losing end. Um, I think I just am in complete agreement with you on this. I've said this a few times in various 
settings this season, I've reached a point where the Rockets beating the Warriors wouldn't shock me, but I'm still going to pick the Warriors uh, to come out of the West, assuming health. There was a video that came out today, and Clay Thompson still only shooting with his left hand. Uh, will he have that? Will he be fully healed by the Western Conference Finals? I don't know. Um, you know, if if Durant or Curry goes down, that probably changes the equation too. But yeah, I think Houston has definitely put itself in position to at least contend. And then I'm with you on the the Raptors and the Cavs too. It's t- Toronto has been really really good this season. Um, and I think we, in a previous episode, I, I said what their SRS was all time. And I'm pretty sure it was like top 30, maybe even higher than that, um, among teams all time. So they're fantastic. It's, I just still have a really hard time seeing them or anyone in the East beating LeBron James in a seven-game series. Um, we have a few other Cavs questions that I'm going to... We have a good Raptors one, too. Rattle off. Let's do it. Um you actually answered this in your answer to the last question, but at Douglas Nipper, <laughs> Douglas N I P P E R, asked us, "Do the Cavs keep the third seed?" I I think you said you um, think they will. I do too. They they got Kevin Love back. It looks like he's pretty much right where he was before he broke his hand. Um, I think that'll help quite a bit, and I, I just I don't. The teams that are pushing them right now, like the the 76ers and Indiana was in fourth at one point, um, I, I just don't see them catching them. So I, I have Cleveland finishing third as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't really think it's a huge question at this point. Um, what are the other Cavs ones that we got? I, I agree with everything. One other Cavs one from Hoops N Family. Hoops N Family. Um in the best way to analytically sort it, where would this season for LeBron rank in his career? Uh, That's so tough his, just because LeBron's defense has been... Yeah, uh, it's been pretty bad. Yeah, <laughs> atrocious is the word I was... I was he, when this he tries, he's his. fine, but he just doesn't... He doesn't seem to have interest closing out on anybody, guarding anybody. That clip from the Raptors game where... Uh, it was Van Vliet, I think cuts back door and LeBron just he just doesn't care at all he, he even starts like <laughs> creeping up to the guy who's holding the ball at the wing and Van Vliet just stops in the middle of his cut goes back out to the three-point line all of this while LeBron doesn't take one peek at him um they kick it to the corner and Van Vliet just drills a three it was like it was a great example of the kind of effort he's put in on defense at points this season but this is still the sixth best box plus minus he's ever posted um which is you know upper half of his career it's 11th in win shares per 48, which obviously depends a lot on how much the team is winning. Um, and then this is his seventh best PER, so it's sort of right in the middle. His Miami Heat seasons and like the one or two seasons before he went to Miami, um, they're not just analytically his best. They're among the very, very best in NBA history. Like the only guy who touches them is Michael Jordan. That's That's crazy. So as good as he's been... This year, um, he was he, he, at least statistically, he was certainly better in the Miami Heat and, and like just before Miami Heat era. Can I ask my own Cavs question for the mailbag? Yes. What are your impressions of 
their probable starting five now. When you look at Jeff Green is essentially your center, even though he'll be with Kevin Love, and then you have LeBron James, and I'm assuming it'll be George Hill and then Kyle Korver once he's back following the well, passing of his brother. When they get fully healthy, it's going to be Nance at the five, don't you think? That is true. I mean, the... I like the lineup of Hill, LeBron, Love, Nance, and then I would probably rather have Korver at the two, but I Rodney Hood's got to still be at least in the conversation, right? Um, even though I don't... His numbers have never really matched his reputation. Uh, I, and, and this season... Specifically, when LeBron and Kyle Korver have been on the floor together, the Cavs are a much, much better team. So that's the lineup I'd go with. But those four guys that are kind of locked in, um, I, I actually think that group makes a ton of sense. It'll be interesting because Larry Nance kind of offsets what Kevin Love doesn't do defensively. Yeah. That should make him easier to stash. I have, I hopes, I have hopes that – I almost forgot about Nance for a second there too. I have hopes for that. Combination. I think he covers a lot of Love's flaws in the same way that Tristan Thompson did two or three years ago, but he's even he's more mobile than Thompson. Like I would trust him switching under the perimeter way more than I ever trusted. Oh, Tristan he can Thompson. guard at least four of the positions on the floor, and I I wouldn't yeah. hesitate to throw him on the occasional point guard too. Yeah, and I think that I think that unlocks another level of defensive uh, ability for the Cavs. Maybe we'll actually see it in the playoffs. Who knows? Any other Cavs questions? Um, I think that was it. I have a Raptors one. I tweeted, this is actually from last night, but I tweeted during the Cavaliers game, Serge Ibaka sh- is shooting 30.2% on spot-up threes over his last 40 games, and that's not ideal. And Mark Crawless, that's at Mark with two Ks, Crawless, C-R-O-L-L-O-S, asked if I have any thoughts on possible Raptors trades after the season. I'm going to be very if they don't touch their roster, they can renounce they have two restricted free agents in Fred Van Fleet and Bebe. Uh they could do nothing to their roster and they're still gonna be right up against that luxury tax threshold. I'm wondering if they will consider or maybe just outright try to trade Norman Powell to shed some salary and then just be able to sign that re sign Van Fleet. I wouldn't put it past them to try trading Serge Ibaka either. He's explored more of his game off the bounce, and sometimes it looks good, but he's had some trouble finishing around the rim at certain stages of the season. He's definitely not the defender he once was, or or his reputation has always kind of overstated his impact, I've thought, just because he used to be so good at blocking shots. I don't know who's going to take on the final two years of of that deal. You don't want to pay Serge Ibaka $20-plus million per year. He's like an OG unicorn rather than a contemporary unicorn at this point especially if his spot of threes aren't falling but that might be because they're probably not unless they win the championship or make it to the nba finals and maybe not even then or or perhaps they could push the Cavs to seven games or something i don't think they're going to try and, and pay the taxes so they're going to have to trim money somewhere i still don't think valanciunas will be particularly desirable he's also been fantastic for them this season so he might be hard to move i i could see powell kind of just being the the odd man out especially given the emergence of OG Ananobi, which started the beginning of the year when Powell ironically uh, suffered an injury and that forced OG into the starting lineup. Yeah, I don't, it'll definitely be hard to trade the Ibaka contract. I'm with you on that. We've talked about big guys and possible destinations a lot 
on this podcast. And it's hard to find like logical spots for guys who are much more positively impactful than Ibaka has been this season. And Powell, I think, is, I mean, he's still young enough that maybe a team could talk themselves into it, but he is 24, and this is statistically by far his worst season. I mean, he has a PER under nine. He has a below replacement level box plus minus. Um, you know, his contract, it's its not like taking on 20 plus million, obviously, uh, with Serge Ibaka, but I mean... Ten million a year. If, if you got to hope that you can, yeah, four and forty-two is a, a nice chunk of change, especially when you he has the player option unlock, at the end. Yeah, yeah, something that he did in those first two seasons. I mean, he's it's been basically a regression. Do you know what I'd like? One for him. I'd like to see Serge Ibaka in Portland's defensive scheme. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, I I like them a lot better when they have like a wing playing the four, though, like Al Farouk Aminu. They're also and maybe you're thinking him as a five instead of Nurkic. Right. I'm not a big fan of Nurkic's offense. It seems like Serge Ibaka's more yeah. complimentary in offense, but Nurkic is the better defender. And, I, but and actually, too. I'm super, I'm just a fan of the Ed Davis, Zach Collins pairing in the front court yeah, for the Blazers. Suddenly unleashed. It's like killing people, right? Yeah. They've destroyed them statistically. So, that, so that's been something. And I, I've heard that they're very, very high on Zach Collins. So maybe, you know, bringing in another veteran, they don't want to. Impeded. Zach Lowe wrote today that they're so high on Zach Collins, but they're also shocked by how good he is already. He just he's they haven't really had that pick and pop guy because it's not Nurkic. That's Collins, no. and he's a better rim protector than I think people realize or care to talk about. Um. All right, I'm going to move on to another one. Let's see if anything else on that. Oh, can we backtrack for a second to the? Kawhi Leonard front I did not realize that we had a trade proposal for Kawhi Leonard and maybe that should have been a quick thing to talk about but Ramos at Eric underscore Ramos 10 tweets Dario Saric Robert Covington the Lakers pick for Kawhi who says no a very clearly to me the Spurs maybe not but like that Lakers pick just isn't going to be all that good if the season ended today it would be 12th yeah, I went. I said Spurs would say no on that as well. I, I love I Covington, and they, Sarge would probably thrive with San Antonio. But to get neither one of those guys is like a superstar either, and I don't think you're getting a superstar at twelve. Uh, Donovan Mitchell begs to differ. <laughs> wow, that's a great point. Feel free to burn me on that one, Jazz fans. <laughs> and the Lakers would be eleven right now, but if the Spurs said yes to that deal. I, I would immediately, if I was the Sixers, veto it myself because there's something wrong there. Yeah, that that would mean that there's like major red flags with his health, I would think. Um, okay, at G-Pot? Um, That's short and sweet. No, I it's A-Pot. I couldn't read. At A-P-O-T-T underscore T-O-T-H-A-M-A-X. Apot Tothamax. Um, he says, Costas, pa- or Costas Antetokounmpo, I almost said Costas Papanikolaou. Um, devoted NBA fans will remember that name. Costas Antetokounmpo just declared for the draft. Do you think he's really ready for the league? I will admit, all I have seen of Costas Antetokounmpo is a couple of highlights. Um, just so he's because- going to be an all-star. <laughs> 
he's got a lot of the you know length and athleticism you might expect from an Antetokounmpo. But he has a negative box plus minus, which is really bad in college. Um, most times you look at a draft prospect, they, they have box plus minuses that would look insane in the NBA. So like Anthony Davis, I think, had like a 16 box plus minus or something. Um, I wouldn't expect Costa Santa de Cumpo to be at that level for me to, you know, be all that excited about his NBA draft stock. But if you are um, negative or close to like a replacement level con- contributor in college, I, I would say that's at least a red flag. Yeah, I, I would agree. We went through this with Tanasis too. It's just the name attached yeah. to him is going to create this hype. Yeah, you hope to catch some sort of like magic in a bottle or something, but it's... <laughs> catch some of Giannis in a bottle, basically. Yeah. Um, Can I, this I, one is from... I have a question for you from Eric Valencia, E. Valencia 12. How many pebbles are on NBA basketballs? <laughs> I saw that one. <laughs> Um, I have no idea. I'm not even going to hazard a guess. It's got to be a, a few thousand? thousand. Yeah, a few thousand. I wonder if that's answered on the internet. We should Google it right now. While, while you're answering I the am. next question, I'm going to do some research. All right, I'll post How the next. dots are on a basketball? This is Yahoo Answers. It's, I'm sure we're we're bound to get some. Lie, real, well, this real-time one's data says, mining. So the, I think this is from Spalding. There are 122 pebbles per square inch on a Spalding basketball, which is approximate equivalent to approximately 35,000 pebbles. Oh, I find wow! <laughs> That's more than I would have thought. I just clicked on the link for their their answer, and it was a dead link. So I don't know if that's true or not. That was an excellent question. Um, I'm going to go to at lit. Debraced God. Um, hmm. He asks, my favorite advanced stats nerd, is there a way to look up slash figure out who the best post players are as far as point guards go? Uh, I'm arguing with people, and you're my go-to when I do facts. So there's not... But you're his nothing. go-to person to argue with, or... No, no, no. He's my go- I'm his go-to for facts, which nice. makes tons of sense. Um at least not that I'm aware of. There's not like an easy way on NBA.com to sort by position, but I did look up um, post play on NBA.com, which you just go to players and then you go to play type. And then I did, I just sorted it by total possessions. And unless I missed some, there was only nine point guards who've used at least 10 possessions out of the post this season. Um, Westbrook's in the 53rd percentile, and he uses almost 7% of his possessions out of the post. Ben Simmons, I'm going to go ahead and count him as a point guard for this. He's in the 14th percentile as a post scorer. That's good. He uses 9% of his possessions. Sean Livingston uses 16% of his possessions as post-ups. He's in the 76th percentile. Uh, Marcus Smart's in the 19th percentile. Chris Dunn, 46th. Kyrie Irving, 28th. John Wall, 26th. Chris Paul, 51st. Um, Drew Holiday, he's only used 40 total possessions out of the post, but he's in the 97th percentile in post scoring. And then Eric Bledsoe is the last one. He's only used 10 possessions, and he's in the 100th percentile. <laughs> um, but like I said, that's only 10 possessions, so I don't know how much we can learn from that. My I think the, the big takeaway is that really the only two who use a lot 
and maybe I'll say three, are uh, Westbrook, Simmons, and Livingston. My favorite post-ups, and they're not specific to point guards or even just guards, although they are specific to wings usually just because of where they start. You ever see players just start backing guys down from basically the three-point line? It's my that favorite. That was the Mark Jackson, man. He did that on like every possession. It's it's to me. I, I vaguely remember that, but it, to me, it's just funny now because it never happens, and then you see it, and it's just it's hysterical because you're twenty something feet away from the basket, and it's just I'm just going to back you down from here because I'm I'm strong and you're not. Oh yeah, like uh, Mark Jackson legitimately did that. I'd say probably like eight out of ten times he brought the ball up the floor. That was <laughs> that was his signature. Um, I'm surprised he didn't try to impress that upon Steph. Maybe he did. Um, okay, at Adams, A-D-A-M-E-S, 1995, Magic or Steph? <sighs> I'm going to throw this one to you. I would take Steph. I just prefer the the shooter, but I, I also could just be a bias of my my own basketball era. I But Stephen Curry, to me, he could go down – as close to the greatest point guard of all time, if not if not the greatest one. Just his ability to manipulate the game by being on the floor. Just remove the shooting, and it's the threat of his shooting that changes everything for the Warriors when they play. And the fact that he can stand out on a team that has Kevin Durant, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and you toggle with their on-off splits and the Warriors are just superior when he's the one who runs on his own as a, compared to anyone else, including Durant, who is considered the better overall individual talent. And I'm not saying that's unjustified, but... Erroneously considered that. All right, then it is unjustified. <laughs> that baseless, unsubstantiated claim that Kevin Durant is better than Stephen Curry. I Maybe I'm getting caught up in the moment a little bit, but Stephen Curry... Put him in in any decade on any team in any era of basketball, and I think he would just change the game in, in the same way and butcher defenses just by existing. And that that to me is just huge. I understand you kind of had to account, not kind of, you definitely had to account for the way that Magic Johnson passed, and and he was fantastic. Ma- Magic Johnson highlight reels are are awesome, but just Stephen Curry. He's an understated passer, but everything he does off the dribble from his shot selection, he has a floater now. The way he just finishes high off the glass at points, he's just his control is is unreal. And in these situations, while it's not scientific and it's completely inexact, I just look at it let's swap them uh in eras. Would Magic Johnson do better today or would Stephen Curry do better during Magic Johnson's heyday, and I think the answer would pretty pretty clearly be that Steph would be the better player for that era. Um, I agree with that, and I agree with that entire explanation. I think I'm probably taking Stephen Curry as well. Another thing that I thought of when I saw this question is um, Trey Young has I, some big shoes to fill. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, there's still some people who argue that Kareem is like the greatest of all time. You you will find those people out there. Um, you know, I think it's one A and one B between Michael Jordan and LeBron James. Uh, but K- Kareem is certainly was just an insane career. And I think a lot of what magic did was certainly helped by that. I think Curry rose to the level he is long before Kevin Durant got here. And in fact, there's a lot of evidence to suggest these, this season that Kevin Durant actually s- suppresses, um, 
<laughs> Stephen Curry's production a little bit. Trade him. So I think <laughs> I think that's a little bit of it for me. Um, I, I was looking at their numbers when I got this question. Curry barely edges him in PER through their first nine seasons. So Curry's in his ninth season right now. So I compared his nine seasons to Magic Johnson's first nine. Um, Curry has a slight edge in PER, which I'm, you know, PER's flaws have been well documented. I don't know how much stock you want to put in that. Magic has a slight edge in win shares per 48 and box plus minus. But here's my thing about box plus minus, at least in, in regards to this debate. Um, He's kind of propped up by defensive box plus minus, Magic Johnson is. And I think that's probably got a lot to do with how many defensive rebounds he grabbed. Um, you know, when, when people talk about Magic Johnson, one of the only criticisms you'll ever hear is that he wasn't <laughs> a great defender. And the difference in the offensive box plus minus is that like, Curry has a pretty huge um, advantage there. And I think it's it goes to a lot of the things you said. He was, He's just a team changing offensive presence. And I think magic probably is too with the way that he passes. Um, but like you said, just by stepping foot on the floor, like a team completely has to change how they're going to defend whatever team Stephen Curry's on. So I, I think I'm probably going to go with Stephen Curry too. Um, it's pretty crazy how close their advanced numbers are though through nine seasons. And I think that might surprise a lot of the more old school fans of the game. So you're saying Magic Johnson is basically Russell Westbrook with a smaller vertical <laughs> and higher size. Well, maybe Ben Simmons with a smaller vertical. And That's a good segue. Bobby Cordes at BC Sniper 7 X. Is this Westbrook's last real chance at a ring in Oklahoma City? I mean, the Thunder better fucking hope not. They just. <laughs> I actually said, I answered this question with just, do they have a real chance? No, not without Robertson, in my opinion. If you if you no, could have told so me that he would be healthy, I suddenly think they become an interesting matchup for the Rockets or the Warriors. Yeah, I mean, he certainly changes the equation. Is, the, there, is their defense still in the tank since he uh, left the lineup, or is that it's stabilized a little bit? They're fourteenth since he left, okay. which is fine with the way their offense has been. But if you would have had him. Yeah, you talk about what he doesn't do for you on offense. He's improved his cutting over the past couple years, which helps a lot, especially if defenders sag off him because that'll open up a little bit of room just for him to get a running head start. It'll give them more time to kind of recover onto him as he gets closer towards the rim as well. But still, it helps him too. The other thing is they have trade-offs no matter who they're putting at that spot at this point. Josh Eustis kind of kills your offense at this point, too. He doesn't look comfortable shooting threes. I do value his defensive versatility. Jeremy Grant is like, he's a pogo stick man, and I, I think he's more switchable than advertised, but he, he's a wild card on in every single aspect of the game. Alex Abrinas gives you shooting that Robertson doesn't, but he's not going to give you the defense. Terrence Ferguson just isn't there right now. Corey Brewer is Corey Brewer. So, I, I mean, when you look at their alternative, he's, he's certainly so important to that team. But to, to ask this question and for it not to sound crazy, though, that might be a red flag. He signed his contract was five years, $205 million-ish was that extension. And he is still a point guard. He's a smart player, but he's, he's still a guy who's predicated a lot on his athleticism. And he turns 30 next November. That's just going to be something to watch. And... Leaving aside about how he could be approaching his post-prime or, or something close to it, the Thunder could technically lose Paul George, and they won't have a single cent to reinvest in a free agent 
this summer yeah, outside of whatever mid level exception they have. Disastrous. So I, I don't want to. I can't. I don't think they have a real shot this summer. So I'm gonna uh, this this year to title. So I'm gonna say no. It's not his last real chance. And I do think that even if Paul George leaves, we have seen with the way he's he's talked or how Melo kind of approved the trade to Oklahoma City that players do want to play with Westbrook. And even Victor Oladipo credits Westbrook with helping him make the leap that he did this year. Um, I'm with you. I think, like I said, my, my instinctual answer to that was that I just don't even know if they have a real chance this year. All right. We have three more. Do you want to do them rapid fire? Let's go. Uh, at Lake four, six, four, six. And excuse me, clearing my throat guys. Um, he asks, does this 2017 draft class or can this 2017 draft class be better than the 2003 draft class? And I'm going to amend that to say rookie class. Cause we want to include Ben Simmons in this, and it, even with as good as Simmons and Tatum and um, Donovan Mitchell and who else do we have? Laurie Markkinen. Like, there's a bunch of guys that have have been really good this season. <laughs> the safe answer is to say no. They don't catch the draft class that had the greatest player of all time, plus Dwayne Wade, plus Chris Bosh. Um, it's going to be really hard for anybody to touch that draft class. I'm with you there. I, I don't really even have anything to add to it. All right, at shooters, NBA underscore FR, top three shooters of all time. <sighs> Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry. Didn't we? <laughs> I feel like we did this once. I feel like Curry's clearly number one. Um, other guys who'd be in the discussion, Corver, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen. Um, Clay Thompson's got to be in there too, right? Clay Thompson. So I, I actually did a little player search for this. Um, nice. And this isn't, you know, this isn't anybody's answer, but it's an interesting way to look at it. Guys who've taken at least a thousand three point attempts. Um, and I also said they had to shoot at least 80% from the line for their career sorted by effective field goal percentage. 15th is Kevin Durant. 14th is Reggie Miller. 13th, Jose Calderon. 12th, John Stockton. 11th, Gary Harris. Uh, 10th, Kawhi Leonard. 9th, Clay Thompson. 8th, Troy Daniels. Um, 7, J.J. Redick. 6, Steve Nash. 5, Steve Kerr. 4, Brent Berry. 3, Kyle Korver. 2, Stephen Curry. Can you guess who number one is? No. Steve Novak. I was actually going to... That he wouldn't have even. I, he's like the guy that comes up in every single. You know what's funny about him too, or maybe just impressive, not funny. Um, Stephen Curry, who's seven or second, has a fifty-seven point nine effective field goal percentage. Novak's is sixty point five. <laughs> that's that's. <laughs> now, I don't think I could say you, you can't say that Novak's like a better shooter than Curry because the volume is so much lower and the difficulty on Curry's shots is so much higher, but. Um, it's crazy to have an effective field goal percentage over 60 with that many three-point attempts. Um, okay, last one. At KG underscore direct. Uh, we, we kind of answered this one last podcast, but uh, with Wiggins thinking he's better than he really is, should the T-Wolves look into trading him prior to the trade deadline next year? I think they should look into it. I don't. I just don't know if there will be anything there. I don't know who's taking on his five-year, hundred fifty-four million dollar contract. I just don't. Exactly. There are teams where maybe he works. I I just don't know who's 
who's trading for I can't come up with a single team. Can you even begin to don't even uh, who's going to suggest Andrew Wiggins for Kawhi swap? <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. Right. Um yeah, I can't I can't think of a spot for him either. We did have a we did have a question. I can't find it right now about De'Aaron Fox's stats in crunch time. Oh, that's right. Um so I I did look them up and Oh, there! Here it is, John at the zoo by myself. That that is a fantastic handle. <laughs> uh, can I get some advanced stats on De'Aaron Fox being clutch and some comparisons? I didn't really look up the comparisons for him, but he has played in almost ninety minutes of crunch time for the Kings. Twenty six games. They're fourteen and twelve in those contests. He is shooting 45.7% from the floor, and he is averaging just under 20 points per 26 minutes in these situations. 36, you mean? uh, Per 36, excuse me. And he's getting the foul line fairly frequently, 4.9 attempts per 36 minutes, but he's shooting under 60% at the free throw line, 3.2 assists per 36. uh, And the Kings have been, they're just dead even. He has a plus minus of zero in these minutes, which is just something I found interesting. There, it's so he's he's hit some big shots. I, I don't think that we can really deny that. And the Kings have been weird in the close games. Having a winning record is incredible. De'Aaron Fox's offensive rating in crunch time is one hundred twelve point seven. There are plus point seven points per one hundred possessions, so that kind of creates some distance from that dead even plus minus turnover ratio ten point six. That's not bad. He has a twenty eight percent usage. His effective field goal percentage, though, and true shooting percentage are both dragged down by – those things are dragged down by his poor free throw shooting along with his poor uh, three-point shooting. But he's been uh, – I, I mean, he, he's been fairly – for a rookie, I mean, I, I would take that. Those so, are really good clutch numbers. Right. I mean, most, the offensive most rating – numbers one, go way down in the clutch, like their percentages and stuff. So yeah. shout out to De'Aaron Fox, and clutch master. Here's So here is what I kind of found – just a, a little bit interesting for him. And, and it's random because the Kings have not been good defensively during these minutes when he's on the court um, in crunch time. But he has a defensive rebounding percentage um, of above 13, which is pretty good for a guard in, in these yeah. situations. And, and so that that's just something that they can also, um, excuse me, kind of look toward so that he's been you know he he's he is one of those three point guards that could have that star ceiling from this year's past draft class you have dennis smith jr you have De'Aaron fox who am i missing it's not frank nilakina who else am i missing maybe it's just the two of them what's wrong with me right now frank nilakina i think that's the one we talked about last time all right well he's definitely not going to uh I don't know that Neil Keen ever projected as a star, but him and Dennis Smith are just kind of those high... Maybe they have a high variance, but they certainly have a high floor, um, those boomer bust candidates. And, and you can see it with him, with some of the stuff he's did, uh, did done in big moments. So uh, if he's going to get you some defensive rebounds in, in crunch time, his defensive rebounding rate is identical in crunch time to Ben Simmons's. Make of that what you will. Both of them 13.2 defensive rebounding percentage. Shout out to De'Aaron Fox and Kings fans. You have something positive there to look at. Um, that wraps us up for another mailbag. Thanks again, everyone, for 
submitting those questions. Uh, you will get the tag in tomorrow's promo tweets. Um, if you want to find us on Twitter, you can find Dan at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. Again, go to the NBA math shop at nbamath.com, and if you put in the promo code BINO, you get 15% off um, an item from that store. And until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Bino Udry. Hello, I'm Joe Cordell of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. Here are a few quick divorce tips that we provide our clients. Number one, don't move out of your house just because your wife tells you to. Remember, that's your house too. And number two, don't blow through the financial statements that you file with the court. These are key exhibits, and they often make or break your case. And number three, watch the social networking. Expect your wife's lawyer to do a thorough online search. And incidentally, this is a two-way street. Now, a bonus tip. Partner with your attorney in assembling evidence. You're one of the two leading experts on your life and marriage. Your attorney needs your input to achieve your goals. And finally, talk to your attorney before taking action. Good luck. Contact Cordell and Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firm's San Francisco area attorneys, a partner men can count on. Online at CordellCordell.com. Offices in San Francisco, San Mateo, and San Jose. Se habla español. Legal services available in English and Spanish. Kimberly Llewellyn licensed in California. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.